It's go time. You're listening live to Third Down Gamble. First down. If you hear sweet dulcet tones from Men Without Hands, it's a safety dance. Welcome everyone to Third Down Gamble, Don Charbon along with Pat Mooney and Heath Graham. We're glad to be back with you. Yes, safety's galore this past weekend in the Canadian Football League. Of course, Pat and I have a famous ongoing argument about this, but we don't have to get further into it right now because... Yeah, let's not do that. (laughs) Because there's enough to uh, worry about with what happened on the field in other aspects of the game. Five games... Only one more time this season do we get that luxury. We had some great football, some fascinating end game scenarios that played out. It's not often that road teams win more than the home teams on any given weekend. There we have it. Let's get right into it. We open up with the first game Wednesday, October the 6th. The Red Blacks are in Toronto. At halftime, the Red Blacks are leading 9-8, to eight, but the Argonauts go off in the third quarter, score 27 points, two pick sixes, a screen pass that goes for 63 and a touchdown. And before you know it, the game is over and the Argonauts are cruising to a 35 to 16 win. Ottawa did a great job of hanging with them in the first half. They gave that Toronto offense everything that they could handle and more and had this one tight. And unfortunately for Ottawa, the third quarter, the wheels just kind of came off and everything that could go wrong did go wrong. The second game slump for Caleb Evans came to fruition. Three interceptions. He had a rough night and unfortunately for them, the game got away. Big point spread by the end of it, but Ottawa was right there up until the kickoff of the second half. Heath, I think you hit the nail on the head. We talked how Caleb Evans had a great first game, but this game he played like a rookie. Some rookie mistakes that cost his team in a big way. But uh, I was impressed they did hang with him for the first half. The second half was just roll Toronto roll. Caleb Evans goes for 23 of 41, 334 yards. By comparison, McLeod Bethel Thompson, 15 of 21 for 181 yards. Now, granted, he throws two touchdowns versus one pick. Evans goes Zero touchdowns, three picks, as you guys indicated. Ottawa's defense cannot shoulder any of the blame for what happened Wednesday night. They played well. They are. They're coming together well. You look at two touchdowns for Toronto came via interceptions. So you take those 14 points away, and suddenly it's a one-score game. Ottawa's defense is playing some tough, tough football right now, and they are doing everything they can to give this team a chance. Unfortunately, the offense didn't quite fire like they did the previous week, and they couldn't get enough momentum going to keep them in the game. Curious stat, Toronto has 253 yards of offense. Ottawa has 406. It tells you two things. Turnovers were massive, and that the Ottawa defense was doing what it needed to do. But we've got to give credit, and it seems like wherever he goes, the media follows him like a North Pole to a South Pole on a magnet. Chris Jones is getting that defense to do what he wants it to do. I thought the Toronto defense had an outstanding game here. You know, Caleb Evans is a rookie, so he made some bad decisions. But at the same point, there was a lot of pressure on Caleb Evans in this game and the one later in the week. I I think the offensive line in Ottawa is a weakness right now. 
Caleb Evans is making a lot of good passes uh, when he's able to have time. But there's a lot of time where he doesn't have a lot of time and he's having to throw one up before he's ready and set to throw. One thing that continues to impress me about Caleb Evans is his running ability. Again, he had six carries for 54 yards, uh, including a 22-yard scamper. So he's good on his feet. And if he can eliminate some of those rookie mistakes, I think he's got a bright future in this league and hopefully for this team. In the receiving department, DJ Foster coming out of the backfield had five receptions for 79 yards to lead the Argonauts. 74 of those 79 were yak yards, which is yards after catch. So he was doing a lot of work. By comparison, Ryan Davis, the rookie for the uh, Red Blacks, eight catches on 13 looks, 104 yards and only 12 yak yards, which is saying that he's catching the ball down the field. Ottawa is starting to show that they belong. The Ottawa defense in particular, I think, has been showing consistent growth. That has definitely helped them as they've come later in the season. They're keeping their team in the game. Uh, the offense has some growth to do, I think, still. But I, I'm, I'm excited for the future of this team. With Caleb Evans, he seems to be an exciting player that, that the Ottawa Red Blacks enjoy playing with. And I'm hopeful that they'll be able to continue that growth and, and put some scares into teams towards the end of the year here. Is it at the point now where Ottawa is all in? on Caleb Evans as their quarterback. If Dominic Davis comes back, is he kind of going into that backup role or is this kind of the the end for him as well? From what I've seen of Caleb Evans thus far, like I said, he had some clear rookie mistakes in this game. Yes. But what he showed in the first game and what he's capable of doing with his feet and a strong arm, he seems like the type of quarterback that Ottawa can build around moving forward. If you look at Ottawa's offensive stats from the time that we had Nichols and Davis running the show to what we've seen in the last couple of weeks with Evans, their offensive output has more than doubled. They are on the verge. 21 season just may not be the year. We move to Friday night. Winnipeg was 11-point favorites over the Edmonton Elks. Well, they covered and covered. (laughs) Winning 30-3 to over Edmonton. As we alluded to in the opening, the safety dance song, here it came out in spades. The Elks gave away a lot. They did. The Bombers had enough to win that game on safeties alone. Three safeties for six points to the Elks three points. There's a lot of buzz in Winnipeg's social media and media circles this week that never has a team offensively and on special teams looked so bad while winning by four touchdowns. This was not the dominant win, especially in the first half that Winnipeg is capable of. And were it not for that defense playing one of the best defensive performances I've seen across the league in a number of years, it could have been a completely different story. They gave that offense a chance to find their way in the second half, which they did, but that first half was was really ugly for the offense. Although I'll have to say in this game, Andrew Harris stepped up and we saw more of the Andrew Harris that we may have been expecting earlier in the season. Maybe he's back injury-free at this point, but when he ran 24 carries for 150 yards, averaging 6.2 yards a carry, that's outstanding. And uh, you could see that offensive line just gain all kinds of confidence. Often he was untouched for the first four or five yards and you know that Andrew Harris, after he's not touched, he's got a head of steam. He's going to get you close to the 10, and he did that multiple times. 
and really pulled away in that fourth quarter. That was pretty much all Andrew Harris putting that game out of reach. He, well, Andrew Harris and that offensive line, like you said, Pat, they played a phenomenal game and they drove that Elks defensive line backwards and gave him those chances, opened up huge holes, and Andrew Harris had his best game of the year by far. Zach Kolaris goes 16 of 27 for 207 yards, not a Zach Kolaris night in 2021. Trevor Harris, by comparison, 9 of 22 for 87 yards. Trevor Harris almost looked lost at times out there. The reward for him for playing so poorly is that he's not on the roster for their next game. That's got to be a tough one to swallow. Taylor Cornelius didn't do much better coming in as 6 of 13 for 47 yards and an interception as well. So I think it's more a case of that Winnipeg defense firing on all cylinders than it necessarily was one quarterback or the other. But the pressure that they managed to put on them really gave both those quarterbacks fits and they could not get any momentum going whatsoever. Edmonton had 196 yards of total offense. Winnipeg almost an even split between passing and and rushing, 401 yards. Time of possession, 36 minutes, 39 seconds for Winnipeg, 23-21 for Edmonton. If you look at Edmonton's possessions over the course of this game, six punts, one field goal, three turnovers on downs, one fumble, one interception, three safeties conceded. That's a rough, rough night on offense. Winnipeg has a habit of making teams look like they're really struggling. In this case, we know Edmonton has been struggling with the previous week losing to Ottawa. And then coming in this week, they just didn't seem to have anything. And I can certainly understand why Elizondo's maybe blowing things up and bringing a new quarterback in. It's time to maybe start looking towards the future. And uh, we'll see how that does starting Cornelius. It was interesting because we had talked to Andrew Hoskins of the Turf District and brought up that very question, should Taylor Cornavius be the quarterback of record going forward? And he felt that Trevor Harris was going to be the man regardless. When your starting quarterback looks as terrible as Harris did, you're kind of left almost agog. What do you do? Where do you go from here? Derek Taylor on Sports Cage tweeted out an interesting fact. Taylor Cornelius in 2021 has a completion percent based on his uh, calculations that he does, percent over expected, completion he's negative 5.5 percent against the expected which is 10th best quarterback in the league with his adjusted passing accuracy dt notes that he's third worst in the cfl and in both stats dt points out that harris leads the league in both up to week nine now winnipeg has a tendency to make quarterbacks look bad and teams look bad but uh we're going to see if this is going to come back on elizondo as well he's making a decision to move forward but yet the stats and the analytics make it appear as though Harris might be a better choice to go forward. This makes me question the health of Trevor Harris a little bit as well. We know he was out for a couple of games with a neck injury. They brought him back from the six-game injured reserve early, but they did notice on the broadcast that he was maybe favoring that right arm a little bit or right hand as well. So I'm wondering if it maybe is a, a nerve issue with the neck injury that's coming into play, possibly, or was it just, like you said, a matter of that Winnipeg defense just really shutting them down and not allowing him to do what he normally does? Here's another consideration. We talked in previous weeks about Elizondo and how he had the potential to lose the room. 
if the players on the field are thinking that Harris is the best move going forward, if they're aware of an injury or something like that, I think it behooves him to actually come out and state that that is the case. Otherwise, he still has the potential to lose the room when they're thinking you're giving us a quarterback that maybe doesn't have the best chance to help us win. And you're standing behind him. Have you given up on us? There are a lot of issues right now within the Elks organization. Eddie Steele gets fired from 630 Ched because he took some of the decision-making to task. Brock Sunderland has to bear a lot of the brunt. Are the players now beginning to wonder what's going on? Are the players actually playing for each other? Are they playing for their own jobs? We've had a COVID situation that was massive in Edmonton. 17 players already tested positive for it. There's a real disconnect. So I think the question now becomes, at what level does cultural change need to take place? Is it is it at the coaching level down or is it at the organizational level as a whole? And if it is at the organizational level as a whole, in the short gap, you may have trouble filling that with someone who will be able to take it forward and make change. If it's a case of trying to maintain the job, you may see a change in, in coaching sooner than later. On the opposite side versus potentially losing the room, Mike O'Shea came out today and stated that Ali Murtado is going to be the place kicker of note again this week coming up against Edmonton. He struggled once again going one for four on field goals, missed a convert as well. So that's 10 points that special teams left on the field for Winnipeg. There have been kickers struggling all across this league and in the NFL this year as well. So there doesn't seem to be an easy fix in Winnipeg. And by Michael Shea giving this kicker one more chance, it maybe does speak a little bit to that culture in Winnipeg and the buy-in from the players as well. Now, if he struggles and goes one for four, zero oh for three again this week, I think the the uh, Winnipeg fans will gladly buy Ali Murtado a ticket out of town to anywhere he wants to go, and they will demand that they start over with somebody else or give Mark Leggio another chance. Blue Bombers this year are kicking at less than 50% accuracy rate on field goals. That is a telling stat. Tyler Copina had not been injured. What would have happened? Would the Bombers be facing this situation? Well, a lot of the misses have been longer field goals. Not every miss, but a lot of them have been longer. And Copena doesn't have that range to even attempt, I think, 50-plus yards. So they may have been punting more than trying some of those long field goals. But at some point, this has to catch up. You can only win games for so long without having a kicker make uh, a clutch kick. Now, we did see one clutch kick earlier this season by Mark Leggio. And since then, it has been very, very suspect. So I think there's a lot of nerves in Winnipeg right now of of what ifs. We know that the playoffs become a whole different ball game, and those types of situations where last second field goal is make or break. You know, in a one-game elimination, you're hoping that the guy out there is going to be robotic and, and gives you that best chance to win. The last time the Blue Bombers hosted a Western final was 1972. Famously, Jack Abenshan missed a field goal. The Blue Bombers kicked the ball out of the end zone. Ron Lancaster tries to kick it back in. A no-yards call against the Blue Bombers. Abenshan gets to try it again, makes it, and the Riders win 27-24 and go to the Grey Cup. Calgary Stampeders go into Saskatchewan to play the Riders on Saturday. 
surprisingly, Bo Levi Mitchell is named the starting quarterback later in the week, despite the fact that he had had so much arm trouble the previous game. He must have got into Michael Riley's special sauce. Bo leads the Stampeders to a 22-19 win over the Rough Riders, second straight win for the Stampeders over the Riders. More importantly, brings them back into the race in the West, and they've now won the season series against Saskatchewan. This was a critical game. I, I know we spoke about this ad nauseum previously, but Saskatchewan not being able to win at home, they only have one more home game, and now having lost this matchup against Calgary, it brings this weekend's game into a real head. If Calgary can match Saskatchewan, having the tiebreaker, Saskatchewan's going to be hard-pressed to maybe even come third. It's going to be a real interesting race for that second, third place in the West. I guess that makes this Calgary-BC game coming up doubly important in that aspect. If the Lions come out with the win, they pull back ahead a little bit. If they lose, Calgary is absolutely right back in this fight. Mitchell goes 20 of 28 for 296 yards. Again, that enigma of him not throwing for 300 in a game still prevails. Cody Fajardo, on the other hand, for Saskatchewan, 20 of 31 for 191. Fajardo was under siege half of the game, and during the other half of the game, it looked like he couldn't find an open receiver. One stat that jumps out to me in this as well is with all that struggling, they still failed to establish a running game. William Powell only had 10 carries for 41 yards. Offensively, the Rough, the rough Riders are looking a little bit confused out there right now, and like you said, a game, an important game coming up with Calgary is going to really tell the tale of the rest of this season, I think, for the Rough Riders. His counterpart, Kadeem Carey, for the Stampeders, goes 20 carries for 109 yards. In the fourth quarter, Saskatchewan went 2-0, and 2-0, and 2-0, and 4-0. It seemed to me that Saskatchewan struggled on offense, and their defense didn't seem to be able to stop those underneath crossing routes or dump passes. They kept dropping back, and, and Calgary just feasted on that all day long. You could see Kareem carried. I think that's an outstanding line, 20 carries for 109 yards. That was one of his best games of the season. And Saskatchewan's defense just didn't seem to come to play in this game. It was a crucial game for them to show up and, and you know try to give their offense a chance. But I think you also nailed it on the head, Don, saying that Cody Fajardo was under siege. That offensive line in Saskatchewan, I think, has been a real liability. They just uh, don't seem to be able to give the time, and they're not really opening up the holes at this point for a rushing game to be established. So... They've got some work to do if they're going to actually be a legitimate playoff contender. Not only did Kadeem Carey have 109 yards rushing the ball, he had five receptions for 69 yards, including 61 yards after catch. So again, it's those short passes by Bo Levi Mitchell in those situations, and Kadeem Carey was able to stretch those out and gain positive yards of almost 14 yards per catch for the running back is a phenomenal night in that aspect as well. This was probably Kadeem Carey's best game of the season by far. And you you put him and Andrew Harris both heating up here late, late in the season. And this was kind of the kind of performances that you expected out of both these running backs from the start of the, of the season. Saskatchewan had three sacks, Calgary two. Saskatchewan picked up three turnovers. You would think with those kind of boosts that Saskatchewan would be the team dominating the game. And yet in that fourth quarter... The Rough Riders, other than the Nick Marshall interception at the beginning of the quarter, did not cross midfield. The Stampeders basically tilted Mosaic Stadium 
from the south end. That translates into Saskatchewan's offense providing 260 yards while Calgary had 449. Time of possession, 33-27. to 27. I think one thing to look at in this game by both teams was their defenses not giving up the big plays and the touchdowns. So we had a busy night for both kickers. Brett Lothar went four for four, including a 52-yarder. Rennie Paradis misses one early on and then has a clutch performance, so he ended up five for six, including the game winner. Um, again, not a lot of uh, of red zone offense by either team, and special teams kind of came through in this one. Calgary opened the game with a long touchdown pass to Mark Heath Ambles on the very first play. And if you look at that, that play made the difference in the game. Right after that, Campbell, the, the defensive back, was out for the rest of the game, and yet Saskatchewan seemed to hold strong, and they weren't able to... You know, capitalize on the fact that, that you had a corner go out and later Brown had a, a brief injury as well. So in this case, I think hats off to Calgary. They hung in there. They did what they needed to do and they pulled out the win. And catching Saskatchewan off guard with that long pass was a phenomenal call. It was. And then that was the only big play of the game, really. That was the only touchdown 30 seconds into the game. When, when a play like that happens that early, I think you get really excited and you think you're going to see a barn burner. And it really, really bogged down after that one toss and catch. Brent Monson, we have to give him credit. I think he outcoached Jason Shivers on this afternoon. When Saskatchewan was backed up towards their goal line late in the game, Monson kept coming with pressure. He had four up front and he would bring a linebacker or a halfback on a blitz all the time. When Calgary got the ball in the final two minutes, Shivers only rushed three and left nine to cover. That's a recipe for disaster, and Bo Levi Mitchell did it time and time again, where, as you indicated, he would just dump it over the middle because the defense was trying to prevent the long ball. Well, they didn't need a touchdown. They needed a field goal to win. Playing that type of defense, you give that quarterback that much time to basically write his diary and then throw the ball there is no way that you're going to stop him. Heath mentioned special teams, but I, I will say as well that this was not a good game punting for John Ryan. We're used to seeing him be able to unleash some bombs, and, and he seemed to struggle at the times where he needed to get one down the field. Calgary was able to return the ball, and yet Saskatchewan didn't seem to be able to do the same. So hats off to the special teams. This made a difference in this game, and it won Calgary the game, in my opinion. We move to Monday. First of an Eastern doubleheader, where the Montreal Alouettes host the Ottawa Red Blacks. And wow, this game had a lot of storylines, not the least of which the injury to Vernon Adams Jr. The Alouettes prevail 20-16 to in a game that Matthew Schiltz has to come out and win for them. What an impressive drive by Matthew Schultz at the end of the game. Go three for three, move the team efficiently down the field and, and get the score when they needed it. it. It bodes well. Matthew Schultz did exactly what he needed to do. It was a very rushed situation. He got about two warm-up tosses on the sideline and had to come in. Like you said, he went three for three, got them the yardage they needed to get into field goal range. Under that kind of pressure, that was a very impressive performance. It really looked like when Ottawa took the lead, that they had the chance and it just kind of slipped away. That that defense, again, for Ottawa stepped up, played a phenomenal game for about 58 and a half minutes. And it just kind of slipped away at the very end. It's got to be a heartbreaking loss 
for Ottawa at this point. They they did everything they could to hang with them. They kept that Montreal offense to a minimal, like 20 points for that Alouette's offense is a lot less than you would anticipate in most games. And Ottawa was right there every step of the way. And unfortunately for them, even with Vernon Adams going down, Schiltz came in and, and just led that winning drive and they pulled one out. You know, while Montreal did did everything they needed to do, I, I think we do have to give credit to Ottawa and the Red Blacks. Caleb Evans bounced back a little bit. He did have one interception here, but I thought he managed the game fairly well, helping them move the ball. He used his feet once again with five carries for 64 yards. And uh, I think this team is going to build into a team that's going to be very exciting. They've got a lot of youth, and I think that that's going to do well. Again, we mentioned it in the first game that this week that Ottawa played. That offensive line needs to grow a lot because he was throwing off his back foot for a good portion of this game as well and didn't have much time. Much like the uh, Calgary-Saskatchewan game, the Alouettes score on their opening drive. Vernon Adams goes 12 of 21 for 157. Caleb Evans, 13 of 23 for 125 for the Red Blacks. A couple of running backs had some pretty big weeks again in this game. Delance Turner for Ottawa, 10 carries for 71 yards. And Cameron Artis-Payne taking over for the injured William Standback comes in 21 carries, 122 yards, and of course a big, big touchdown. Losing a player of Standback's caliber, you're pretty worried about the running game continuing on, but Cameron Artis-Payne stepped up, did not look out of place out there. Standback on the sidelines was excited for him. So it was, it was great to see that team effort and that support for the new guy coming in. Part of the reason why the Alouettes were down is they'd given up two safeties in the game, and that had prompted them to either play for the tie, but fortunately for them, Schiltz got them right down, and they scored the touchdown with just 24 seconds left in the game. Montreal was, and probably still is, the number one offense in the league. It's going to be interesting now to see Vernon Adams Jr. not out there. He has an issue with his non-throwing shoulder. Happened when he was scrambling to get the first down and his arm got sort of twisted funny underneath his body as he went to ground. Previously, Heath had mentioned that Vernon Adams, you can live and die by Vernon Adams because he is a gunslinger. He's going to put the ball up, but he's going to get the interceptions. If Schultz can manage the game and move the team down the field, I think he has the ability to help this team by controlling the ball and, and methodically moving down the field rather than gunslinging and putting up a few interceptions. I, I agree with you, Pat. I'm interested to see what Matt Schiltz does with this team. He's got the weapons on offense. He's got Jake Winnicky and Eugene Lewis and B.J. Cunningham out there catching the ball. So he doesn't need to force the issue. He doesn't need to play the same style of football that Vernon Adams does to be successful. He's got to use the weapons that are there and play smart, and I think he can be successful. They've, they've got enough pieces of that puzzle that he should be able to step in. Uh, it's going to be a little bit of a, a coaching change on how that offense runs, but I don't think you see the same high-risk, high-reward that you're used to seeing with Vernon Adams. Final game of the weekend, another barn burner. The Toronto Argonauts roll into Hamilton and defeat the Tiger Cats 24-23 on a last play field goal by Boris Beatty, puts the Argos into the win column and puts them two games clear into first place in the East Division. We're starting to see a little bit of separation at the top of both divisions right now. Winnipeg's a clear front 
runner in the West. And as we mentioned in last week's conversation, with this win, Toronto definitely separates themselves from the rest of the field as far as the East Division goes. And it really puts some question marks on Hamilton as to what the rest of the season is going to look like for them. If Montreal can continue to get a couple of wins here with Schiltz at the helm, anything can happen between that second and third playoff spot. Jeremiah Mazzoli for the Tiger Cats goes 24 of 33 for 361 and two touchdowns. A great day at the office. McLeod Bethel-Thompson, who was pretty much sleepwalking in the first half, goes eventually 29 for 42 for 388, two touchdowns and a pick. Bethel-Thompson came alive in the third quarter. I don't know what they changed in terms of the philosophy or the approach of the offense, but something got him into a, a zone that he started to be lights out. Perhaps having Arbuckle stand on the sideline looking like he wanted to go in may have been a bit of a fire underneath uh, Bethel Thompson. But I, I think in this case, he is one who likes to throw and he was able to put the ball up and, and move when they needed to do so. What an exciting finish. Talk about a classic game. This was it. McLeod Bethel Thompson ne- needed that production in the second half because five points in the first half, it was pretty dire. And, uh, you know, what a what a comeback by the Argonauts. 19 points in the fourth quarter to secure the win when it looked like Hamilton kind of had that game under control through three quarters, the Argonauts came alive and did what they had to do and pulled it out. DeVaris Daniels only had two receptions during the entire game, but the one that he had on the goal line to score the Argonauts touchdown in the fourth quarter was special. That's going to rank right up there with one of the top catches of the year. To be able to catch it, pivot, get his feet in bounds, it was an unbelievable play at a very timely time. Canadian receiver Curly Gittens Jr. had seven receptions for 105 yards. The Tiger Cats, Jalen Acklin, had a big day, six receptions for 96. In the last 10 minutes, started to really slog it out, each going back at the other. It was just a lot of fun to watch. It's, the CFL East this year has been really entertaining. Here are some quick stats. Hamilton had 470 yards of total offense. Toronto had 421 you're looking at almost 900 yards of offense in that football game. It is. It was definitely Jeremiah Mazzoli's best performance as quarterback this year. Uh, he's looking healthy now, and we'll see what happens with Dane Evans. It looks like he's getting closer to game action as well. They had some uh, some highlights of him throwing the ball, and he's coming along nicely. So it might be a situation where both quarterbacks for Hamilton are heating up, and they certainly need it. We saw Braylon Addison and not a bad day, six receptions, 63 yards. They've got to build him back into that offense, but I think it was Jalen Acklin's best game of the season and possibly best game as a Tiger Cat so far. So much fun to watch games that are, the outcome is always hanging in the balance right to the end. And this was the case. I mean, it was a little slow for Toronto at the beginning, but the team just seemed to ramp up and I thought it was a really outstanding finish to a great week of football. All three games on the weekend, were one in the last 30 seconds. Second down. Just three games on the docket for week 11 in the Canadian Football League. Let's get into the odds, and all these odds are powered by Bet Regal, and we thank them for that. It is Tuesday when we record. First game, Winnipeg in Edmonton. Winnipeg is favored by 74.5 points. Oh, wait a minute. It should be. No, that's 14 and a half points. 
Over under 41.5. I think the Bombers will cover. <laughs> I think it's unanimous. Everyone who thinks so, hand up. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if I'd take him to cover 70, but I might take him to cover 30. Uh, Taylor Cornelius, Cornelius named the starter for Edmonton. Kenny Lawler coming back maybe as a redemption game after his one-game suspension. And the player I'm anticipating is going to have a turnaround game who's had a couple of good games but not much else happening is Darvin Adams for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Um, He had one catch out of seven or eight targets in that last game, and I think he's hungry as well. So I'm expecting a better performance from that Winnipeg offense than we saw last game. The defense is going to continue to do what they do best and give Taylor Cornelius fits in this one. So 14 and a half is going to be blown out of the water by the Bombers in this one. Jamarcus Hardrick at tackle is questionable for this game. And that's going to be huge in terms of the protection of Zach Galeros. Expect a less rushing performance from Andrew Harris, but more blocking performance for Andrew Harris in this one. One thing that he is great at doing, other than hitting the hole hard, is picking up blitzes and picking up those guys coming through. So I anticipate an an important game if Hardrick is unable to go. Harris is going to be more important as a blocking back than he is as a running back. I absolutely agree with you in this game. I I don't see where Edmonton stands a chance, to be honest. And I think this line could change as the week proceeds. I think you'd be silly not to take the 14.5 and... uh, the over-under is maybe a bit more interesting. It's a question of how many points will Winnipeg put up. Their kicking has lacked a lot. But if they get on a roll where they did a few weeks ago and Caleros can put up over 300 yards, this one could be a big blowout and potentially even go higher than the 41.5. So I think I'll take the over on that one. Yeah, I'm with you on that one as well. Saturday afternoon, the rematch. Montreal Alouettes at Ottawa. Alouettes will be without, of course, Vernon Adams Jr. at quarterback. Ottawa, who showed very well in Montreal, and but for a brutal third quarter in Toronto, showed very well in Toronto. With a week's rest for both teams, this one could be interesting. The Alouettes are minus 4.5 favorites. The over-under, and again, they're believing that this game is going to go off, is at 48. This one's a really tough game to call in my opinion, given that Vernon Adams is on the sidelines for this one, given that Ottawa's defense has really stepped up in the last couple of games and started to come together, I might lean towards the Red Blacks pulling the upset in this one. Are you saying they're actually going to win or just cover? I was a week early last time I said they were going to win. (laughs) But I, I believe... That Ottawa does pull off the upset. Not only do they cover the spread, but they win this one. Um, I do think it goes under the 48 points. However, it's not going to be a high-scoring affair with the quarterbacks that are taking the snaps in this one. When you have Schultz versus Evans, uh, anything can happen. And if one of these quarterbacks happens to get on a roll and their team gets behind them and builds some momentum, I think you could see this game become a high-scoring game. Um I'm going to actually lean towards taking Montreal in this game. I think that they will likely have a better defense overall. But again, Ottawa's at home, and we've seen them play well at home at times. So this one, I I think I would take the under. 
With Vernon Adams Jr. at quarterback and Dominique Davis at quarterback the last time they played in Ottawa on September the 3rd, they went off for 80 points combined, Montreal winning 51-29. to So do you think Montreal covers the 4.5 in this one? Yes, I do believe so. I think they could win by 7 or more. Don't expect it to be a blowout. I think they're going to cover as well. And just like you, Don, I think it'll be within 14 points, but I think they should be able to take this game. So I'm the only Red Flags believer this week. There's a lot of people in Ottawa on your side. <laughs> the late game on Saturday, Calgary Stampeders are in British Columbia. And to show some respect for what Calgary did the last two weeks against Saskatchewan, the Stampeders are minus 0.5 favorites, over under 43.5. Of note, Calgary's Quarterback Jake Mayer is not going to be available because of COVID protocol. He is one of two players that were placed on that list by the Stampeders. That means Michael O'Connor will be available to be the backup for the red and white. Bo Levi Mitchell versus Michael Riley, the battle of the special sauce arms. Second time they've met this season. I think this is a, a fair look at this and, and the fact that it is essentially a pick'em game. This is a huge game with playoff implications on both teams. If BC is able to pick this game out and, and win, they still have a chance to move in towards second place. If Calgary does it, they've got a real strong opportunity to move into second place. Whoever does win this game, I think it will be a close game. If I had to pick one right now, I think being at home, BC should have the advantage and I, I think I'm going to pick BC. Mike Riley has often come up big in these games, and I think that his offense without Lucky Whitehead will be able to still contribute and move the ball. They should be able to cover the point five. Of course, at that point, it's pretty easy to do if they happen to win. The Lions have only won one game against a Western opponent. Ironically, it was the Stampeders in Calgary on August the 12th, 15-9. This is a really tough one to call. I was expecting a lot more out of Michael Riley and the BC Lions offense when they met the Bombers a couple of weeks ago. Granted, Lucky Whitehead did go down early in that game with a hand injury. He's still unavailable this week. Calgary has been playing better of late than they were at the start of the season as well. But I'm going to give the home field advantage to the BC Lions, and I think they they eke out a win. And 43.5... We are going to go over in this one. Both offenses get on track a little bit, and it's going to be a barn burner. The Lions, with three home games in four weeks, they had the bye in between. So far, they have lost the first two in this home stand. Without Lucky Whitehead, pickup of Devere Posey is massive, I think. That should offset that loss by quite a bit. Posey, of course, was there in 2019, and we've chronicled the year that Brian Burnham has had or hasn't had, and we're wondering when he's going to go off, could he do it against Calgary? If there's ever a game where he's going to get back on track, he needs to do it now. He needs to get the Lions back in the win column and get a little bit of separation. If Calgary wins this game, they actually will be ahead of BC in the standings. And that's a, a dangerous situation for the Lions to be in. Um, it's a statement game for BC if they feel that they are contenders for that second overall playoff spot, or at this point, even the third playoff spot, they need this one. The winner of this game will have five wins on the season. If BC wins, Saskatchewan remains in second. If Calgary wins, Calgary moves to second. Huge playoff implications, even in terms of crossover. Yeah, absolutely. The A win by Calgary would actually launched them ahead of the Hamilton Tiger Cats 
and for for wins on the season. So that does bring that crossover back into play. A couple of weeks ago, we were sitting here thinking that it was not going to be possible at all, and two big wins against the Rough Riders, and suddenly Calgary's in that position where a crossover is certainly possible. The top three teams in the West, as it stands right now, that's Winnipeg, Saskatchewan, and British Columbia, are 8-1 and one against the East. The only loss was Winnipeg to Toronto. Here's an interesting stat. The last time they were 8-1, and one, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, was 1960. That year, Edmonton went to the Grey Cup. Well... Edmonton's not going to the Grey Cup this year, so we could write that one off. <laughs> I think Winnipeg has the best shot. If I were betting, I'm putting Winnipeg in the Grey Cup for the West. Third down. It's fantasy time. Let's get right to it. Pat, who have you got for this week's three-game set in your quarterback and running back roster? Well, I said the BC is going to take Calgary, so I'm going to put my money on BC, and I'm taking Mike Riley for 9,500 as my quarterback of the day. And I'm having trouble not picking Andrew Harris after his breakout week last week, so he is my running back of note. Heath? Saving a little bit of money on quarterback and going with uh, Michael Michael Schultz? Matthew. Michael Schultz with the Montreal Alouettes for 6,600. Chasing another hot running back, Kadeem Carey had his best game of the season last week, and I expect a similar performance against BC. So Kadeem Carey for 8,700. I'm going with Bo Levi Mitchell, 9,600 against the Lions. And as my running back, I've got Cameron Artis Payne, who showed me a lot in his first game. He's facing Ottawa in Ottawa, but a cheap price of 2,900. Can't walk away from that. That's a bargain. Wide receivers, Pat. I think he's underperformed in the last two weeks, so I'm taking Devontae Dedman in Ottawa. I think he's going to have a chance to break it out this week. And then I'm going with the same guy I had last week, Nick Dembski in Winnipeg. I think he should see a lot of action as well. Heath? Redemption after one-game suspension. Kenny Lawler Jr. comes out for Winnipeg with a vengeance at 6,800. And steady touchdown Jake Wenicke for the Montreal Alouettes at 7,800. I'm going back to Calgary. Josh Huff, $5,700. And my second receiver, after that catch in Hamilton, how can you leave him off your roster? Eugene Lewis, 10100 Flex, Pat. I'm going with a running back theme on the flex against the uh, ninth-ranked defense. I've got Artis Payne in Montreal. I think he should see a lot of running. And besides him, I have uh, James Wilder Jr. I think he's going to be the dump down in a lot of cases on this week and I think he should get a fair amount of touches. Heath? As I mentioned earlier in the podcast I think Darvin Adams is due for a breakout game so he's my first flex at 8900 and Javon Katoy for the BC Lions at 5200. Whitehead is out of the lineup and I think BC has to spread the ball around a little bit and look at some new guys. I think at that value Katoy is a good pick. I'm going with Calgary receiver Markeith Ambles at $7,000. And Winnipeg slot back Nick Dembski at $7,500 for my two flex players. Defense, Pat. I had to save some money here. I'd love to be going Winnipeg, but I don't have enough money to pick them. So I've got the Lions on this one, $3,800. Heath? I saved my money so I could get that dominant Blue Bombers defense with what they showed against Edmonton last week, an outstanding performance. And I think it carries through here again. 
I'm with you on that. I'm taking the Blue Bombers. The Blue Bombers in rarefied air in the fourth quarter, allowing fewest points in the fourth quarter of any team in history. The next two were Calgary in 1968, Saskatchewan in 1974. Final thoughts. One really critical matchup between Calgary and BC is the game to watch this week. Montreal-Ottawa with their starting quarterbacks both on the sidelines looking at this one. It's going to be a really interesting game to watch. If Winnipeg's defense continues what they're doing, we're looking at something really special this year. Winnipeg by a landslide. I've been wrong before, but I've got a pretty strong feeling about this one. It's interesting. We're hanging on the Calgary-BC game because that has implications. But if Ottawa can pull off a win here, that's going to make the East very interesting as well. I think we're just going to have a question of how much will Winnipeg win by in the first game. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Follow us on Twitter where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble Podcast. Audio. Worth watching.